corner of the balcony that overlooks our manicured garden, a clay chimneyer radiates waves of primordial heat. It devours logs of wood through its gaping mouth and gently puffs its carcinogenic remnants through its flue. Through my half-open eyes, all I see is the amber glow of the furnace. The autumn night is clear and still, the stars making a rare appearance in the Mancunian sky. My head is foggy and my body limp. I don't know what to think. I don't want to think. I've done so much thinking that I've forgotten what it's like to feel. And so I submit. Submit to the heat and allow it to envelop me. The intense sensation of respite from my congealed mind. A momentary chance to escape. The house is quiet now, the children long since put to bed. The patio door softly slides open, and in the empty chair next to mine, she slumps without a word. I catch a glimpse of her face, devoid of colour, drained of life. Neither of us says anything. We are resigned to our state, resigned to our fate. The crackle of the fire is all that breaks the silence. And then she begins to sob. Not the sobbing of the distressed, but the deep, silent sobbing of the hopeless. I don't respond because I can't respond. And because I know where we are, and where this goes from here. How do you know if your relationship is over? I mean, how, how do you know? 
Anybody who's ever been in a relationship which has been rocky has faced that question. There isn't really a yardstick. There's no standard. You can ask other people for advice, but really the advice you're given is based on their experiences. And I'm not saying that's not valid, but it might not be valid for you. It's a question that I came back to, and I'm sure my ex-wife came back to on a number of occasions, countless occasions, during our faltering 10-year marriage. For me, it began really early. I think within weeks. Now, those of you who've listened to previous podcasts will know that I didn't really have not, not that I didn't really have, I didn't have any previous relationship experience. And I was left feeling confused. Rationally confused and emotionally confused. I mean, they're two different things, but confusion's confusion, right? So I just thought to myself, well, is this what marriage is meant to be? that you have these highs and these lows and you live in this state of confusion and men are from Mars, women are from Venus and you're not really meant to get each other and so this friction is really what, what it's about. It didn't feel right and in hindsight maybe I should have trusted my my gut instinct but I don't want you to or I don't want to give the impression that I regret anything that I'm telling you or any of the experiences that I have because I don't. I don't have a problem having painful experiences in life. You will have had them. I have had them. I will have them. It's just the way God has created the world. And I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say we learn more from the tough things that we go through than when things are going swimmingly. It's just the way things are. And so I think back to those early weeks after being married where it was becoming clear to me that I had no clue who I had married. That maybe we shouldn't be together. But then something happened. And the only thing which could have kept us together, I think... She was pregnant quite soon after getting married and within 10 months we had our first child. I haven't really spoken much about children. Uh, I'm aware of that. I want to do a separate podcast episode about having kids, who you want to bring up as Muslim in the UK but as you guess as you're guessing that that has to be a separate episode that can't be part of this I mean this is really about navigating your relationship and making the right choices and so because we were having a child for me that was that 
I was committed. I had to go through with it. And I wasn't resigned to an unhappy marriage. I just convinced myself that we would do well, that we would get over it. I actually said that thing that so many people say, which is perhaps it's having a child that's going to bring us closer together. Yeah, I know a lot of you are probably nodding right now. Maybe you're having those thoughts. Maybe you've had those thoughts. Maybe you actually went through with that. And I'd be curious as to how it worked out for you. Did it alleviate your problems? I'm guessing it didn't. I'm guessing having another child or a child added a certain pressure to your situation. You see, we all look for these silver bullets, don't we? We all look for those things which are instantly going to cure us of our ailments, psychological or physical. We just want somebody to tell us how to get something right. Or we want to take a tablet and it'll all be better. But nobody ever really, really wants to accept that it's an incremental process that goes on and on and on and never really ends. It's just a process of refinement. It's like going on a journey. And if you if you go through half the journey and you've got half left and then you split up that journey into a half and then that journey into a half and into a half and into a half, you never actually reach the destination. You just get closer and closer and closer and closer until you almost get there, but you're not quite there. And that is life. It is the journey. The destination is what we think we want, but it's actually it's actually the journey that is telling us everything about ourselves. And I don't want to get into this whole cliched thing about enjoy the journey, right? Don't worry about the destination. No, worry about the destination. You have to point yourself in a particular direction. If you want to resolve your relationship problems, then that's the direction you need to head in. You just need to accept that it's a moving target and you your best hope is just getting closer and closer to doing that. And so in those early days, that, that's what I accepted. I accepted that we were having to get, going to have to get closer together. Although I was still hoping for the silver bullet, I was still, I think, blaming her for not being what I wanted her to be, which I now understand is me projecting my insecurities onto her. And if you're a bloke who does this, you need to realise that. She ain't going to make you any better, feel any better, right, about yourself. That's not going to happen. If you find yourself blaming her for things she does, nitpicking, yeah, being passively aggressive about that kind of thing, then take a moment when those feelings arise and stop and think. Think about where those feelings are coming from. Because they're deep-rooted. You've learned that stuff from somewhere. But anyway, so we're having a child. I'm, ne I'm, I'm psychologically committed to this relationship and I'm looking to be emotionally connected. And I'm, I think I'm prepared to put in the effort to make that happen. Having said that, I don't really know how to make that happen, which is a key part of this whole thing. And it's the same from her perspective. Having spoken about this to some degree, I mean, I can't speak on her behalf and I don't wish to, and I don't wish to misrepresent her either. But she must have had similar thoughts as well. Remember, this is somebody who's new to the faith, 
somebody who had previous relationships because she was a convert to the faith. And now she's with somebody who isn't really suited to her in that regard, isn't really emotionally intelligent. But to her credit, she's committed and we're, we both want to push this forwards. Little did we know that 10 years later, we'd be uncovering new issues, new problems, having resolved some of the older ones, having created some new ones along the way. And all the while, all the while, having this nagging feeling that you really shouldn't be together. And that's just awful. And if you find yourself in that position and you're listening to this, God bless you. Because it's just not a nice position to be in. And if you're listening to this and you're looking to get married and you're looking for certainty, and this is the other problem that we have, people don't know when it's over, but they also don't know when to begin. So you're looking for certainty. You want to tick all of those boxes. You've probably been on the matrimonial sites and you've ticked all of the, you know, the hair colour and the, you know, and the height and the education and maybe the cast and maybe you've filtered out uh, people of certain backgrounds and you've curated this list of this perfect person that you want to get together with. And you and your heart of hearts know that even if you do find that person that it's unlikely to be that person for the long run. We're all going to wind each other up at some point. The gloss is going to come off. Some of us are going to put on weight. Some of us are going to reveal elements of our personality that even we didn't know existed. And so you can't, you can't hope for perfection. So some of us don't know when to start and some, some of us don't know when it's over. And that question of it being over is, is heavy. It's laden with meaning. It's over. Intellectually, you understand the words, but emotionally, it's like a bereavement. That's what it's like. It's like a bereavement. Breaking up with somebody has a similar impact to somebody passing away. You are breaking away from them emotionally. For many of us, physically, never to see them again. With a lot of the time in the Muslim community, because children are involved, the added complication of having a joint responsibility. And that joint responsibility means that we need a certain level of emotional maturity and understanding to be able to navigate the post-relationship landscape. There were so many times when I would sit there and we would discuss the fact that we both felt that it wasn't worth trying anymore. And this must have happened numerous times over a number of years. And what we didn't realise is that every time we would go to the well, 
and we would come back with water. We were diminishing what was in the well. And at some point when we went to the well, we weren't going to draw anything up because there was nothing left. Because that's what happens when you don't resolve issues. That's what happens. You have a spike and then that spike disappears and you think things are fine. And then you have another spike, another disagreement, another dark moment. But what happened in our case was our relation, and I'm, I'm guessing this is this, this is the case for so many of us, that the nature of our relationship changed in order to manage the emotional fallout of being unhappy in each other's company. And I guess that's the way we preserve ourselves and our situations. So we did all of those things that we felt would paper over the cracks. And that's essentially what it is. You either are plastering the cracks or you're papering over them. What are you doing? Honestly ask yourself that question. Are you papering over the cracks or are you plastering the cracks? And so we would paper over them. I would convince myself that there was something wrong with her. She would be convinced that if she changed, everything would be better. And that is largely down to my ineptitude and ignorance. But then over the course of time, that changed where I became, where it was recognised that I was being unfair. It was also recognised that she was carrying certain things within into the relationship which needed to be resolved, which were impacting us as well. So these things were revealing themselves. But in the meantime, we just did those things which hid from the problems and hoped they went away. We would go on holiday and these holidays would convince us that we were fine. We would leave the kids and go away. And I remember we went to, we went on some great breaks actually. We went to Andalusia. It's a favourite destination for many Muslim families because of the history and the heritage in southern Spain. And it was a magical trip. We went to the Alhambra. And I'd, I, I've, I've been many times to the Alhambra, but this is you know, the first time that, that she had been. So, you know, I, I took her, I was, you know, and anyone who's been to the Alhambra will know what a romantic and magical place it is. And the weather was beautiful and we were just at ease. You know, when you're just at ease, when you're, you're just at your best. And we both had the same question. Why can't we always be like this? That was the main question that always used to come up between us. Why can't we always be like this? Just happy and at ease. No angst. We went to Seville, or Sevilla, as they call it. We went to Cordoba. We uh, we went to beautiful restaurants. 
you know, the kind of thing that you do when you have a break. Uh, I remember on the way on the journey back, uh, I'm somebody who is always late for flights and trains and things. So um, I'm an optimist. So I don't think you need to leave two hours before a flight. You know, you can get to the airport half an hour before the flight and it will be fine because there will be no traffic. I'm just an optimist. And so we did the same thing in, in where was it, Marbella. Um, and uh, and we missed the flight. <laughs> we missed the flight. Now, normally, normally that kind of stress would have triggered something within me. And that would have led to angst. But it didn't. I remember being stuck in traffic with her and I could see she was getting a bit worried because this was like a stressful situation and she was worried about how I may react. And I said, look, don't worry, it's cool. It's fine. You know, and we had a laugh about it. Now, if that had happened in the UK, even something a lot less than that, it would have triggered a lot of other things which would have led to us and led to a bad atmosphere. We once went to Paris. We went to Paris uh, again for, you know, to kind of patch up our marriage. Um, you know, the, the city of light. The, you know, it's anyone who's been to Paris understands what a beautiful place it is to walk around. Um, and, you know, at the right time of year, it is just a, it's just a stunning place to go with so much to see, so much to do. Uh, and so that's where we went. And a, a really good friend of mine, one of my closest friends yeah he, he uh he works in the corporate sector and he said look you know you know i'll book you a room uh for 3 days uh you know i'll use my i'll use my points he used his points on his uh corporate card to to help us and i'll always remember that and so we turned up at the hilton in in paris and again, it was just one of those trips where everything went swimmingly from the moment we arrived. You know, it was like darkness and light. You know, in the UK, everything was dark. And as soon as we went away, everything was light. And so we walked through Paris. We joked and we laughed and we held hands. We hired bikes. We rode along the Champs-Élysées. I took I took some videos, actually, of us. Um... And it was just the way you should be with your partner, accepting, 100% accepting, easygoing, not nitpicking, no spikes of anger or angst, just being understanding, listening. And it was great. And then as soon as we get back to the UK, give it one or two days and we're back where we were. And that is devastating. That's just devastating when you know how good it can be, but you can't make it last. And your pattern of thinking is the same and you don't even realize it. And so 
you come back thinking there's less hope than there was before you went. Because if things can still be that bad after having had such a good time, then something must be seriously wrong in your marriage. And so this pattern continues. And what happens is that you have a breakdown in trust and respect. Now people can express this in different ways. But really the programming around how you deal with this is related directly to how you have experienced relationships directly and indirectly. For example, I'm somebody who endures. I don't break relationships because that's the direct example I had. Many of us who come from immigrant backgrounds will come will will have witnessed marriages which weren't really about love. I'm not saying your parents don't love each other. Don't get you know, don't get it twisted. I'm saying that the narrative of Bollywood, Hollywood, whatever it is, didn't really exist for people who got married in the 60s and the 70s from immigrant communities. Marriage is an institution. And divorce was unacceptable. And that's just not within the Muslim community. That's across many, many communities from many, many faith backgrounds. And so what I witnessed were marriages which were function a marriage which was functional, sometimes dysfunctional, but never breakable. And that I saw my parents endure for large part a marriage. And so that's the model I took into mine. It doesn't matter what took place, I was going to endure. Basically, it's never over. It's never over till death do us part. Now, is that right? For me, no. Clearly, I'm divorced, so it wasn't right. But that's what I was living. And actually, I was the one who kept arguing to hold us together because my ex-wife had a different model. You know, when it, she had a different model. She, you know, for her, it was once she had made up her mind that something was finished, that's it. You finish and you move on. And I kept having to convince her that we weren't at the end of the road, that things could get better without actually knowing how to resolve it. And so that's how we continued over the years. Now, if you're going through this kind of cycle yourself, you need to be aware that there is an impact of going through this, these cycles. And it's, an, it's a negative cycle. Because eventually your psychological health begins to suffer or it may or it, it may be exacerbated and trying to deal with the difficulties that come with being married and having children and having in-laws and having financial issues and all of these things and having your internal problems 
as well as not being psychologically well, is a recipe for disaster. And so that's the direction we began to head in. Darkness. Depression. In the beginning, you want to talk everything through. Yeah, why, we, you know, why, is, why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why can't we be like this? Maybe we should try this. How about a bit of counselling? Da, 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 da. You know, you're full of the energy to try and resolve the relationship. Of course, we've got children. You know, we've got everything going for us. It's great. You know, we can if we just resolve this thing, we'll be fine. But then the talk, once you've talked it through and talked it through and talked it through and talked it through, there comes a point at which you say, what's the point of talking? about it it's too painful because every time we talk about it and we think we resolved it we end up in the same place and that continues and so you stop talking and by the way talking's on the same as communicating but both stop and they stop why because of self-preservation because if you carry on you'll enter into a darker place and so the relationship changes ours did anyway so we stopped going on these breaks. We stopped putting in huge effort because it was too much for us to put in huge effort to try and resolve our problems. So instead, we modified our lifestyles. So you began to live a little bit more separately in order not to trigger one another. I know some people do this by actually, you know, sleeping in separate rooms in order not to antagonize each other by the way here's a controversial idea husbands and wives should actually have their own rooms now don't at me on this i'm not talking about in order not to antagonize each other i'm saying that and i know this actually people do actively and choose to do this in order to preserve the integrity of their marriages because actually sharing a bed is a pain in the backside you know, people have different ways of sleeping, right? You know, you've got people who like softer mattresses, harder mattresses. You know, you've got the duvet problem. Um, let's not get into the hygiene issues. Uh, yeah, it can, it can be, it can be not great. I mean, it can be lovely. Don't get me wrong, but it can be not great either. But anyway, that's let's let's leave that aside for a moment. That's probably the most controversial thing I've probably ever said on this podcast. And so we started living, you know, uh, more separate existences, you know, where our interaction would become slightly more aloof, slightly more aloof. And uh, we would become like ships passing in the night. Yep, living under the same roof. You know, I do, I go to work, I earn the money, I spend you know, spend money on the groceries, she would do the cooking, we'd get together for a meal maybe, you know, and not spend a huge amount of meaningful time together. Now that's a dangerous place to be. Because you think you're together, you think you're on the same page, you think you're living like a married couple, but really you're just enduring each other. Do you really want, is, is, is that the, the ambition here? in a union to endure one another i mean i've done it and i know why i did it is because i was trying to work out a way for us to stay together and it was a natural human reaction to having you know avoiding the psychological and emotional pain of being in a difficult relationship but then what you don't realize is that 
it's 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 something that leads towards further breakdowns critical breakdowns intimacy intimacy gets lost in all of this because intimacy requires trust and respect as a baseline you know your partner needs to be emotionally comfortable with you and you with them in order to be in order to be intimate and intimacy is important for a, uh, for a marriage without it it ceases to be a marriage and so that's that's the path we ended up going down and i know we're not the only ones when the trust and respect between two people breaks down then what follows is a breakdown in the intimacy and that then is another set of problems which unless you link it to what's going on beforehand can can feel like it's just something else you need to deal with and it seems obvious doesn't it it seems obvious that if there's a breakdown in intimacy you can link it back but not at the time you're thinking what's wrong with us we used to be fine and now we're not what does that mean and again it ends up into you end up in the place where it's too painful to resolve and so you leave it and you allow, allow it to fester and you think it's okay because because you're being friendly with each other now it's fine you know you can spend time together you can be friendly and you know it's okay you know not having intimacy in a marriage that's you know it, it can survive it's okay but actually what you realize is that there's resentment you may not express it but the undercurrent is there's resentment that the trust has gone and the respect is gone and the love has has diminished to this extent and there is no emotional you're not providing you know god says in the quran that you are garments for each other you know that husband and wife are garments for each other and you are no longer that so then you ask yourself well what are you what are you if there is no emotional closeness physical closeness that you are simply two individuals living under the same roof going through the motions ignoring the problems pretending that you're doing it for the sake of your children that's not something that can survive not without irreparably damaging everybody involved that's that's my opinion this idea that you stay together for the sake of the children really that's not from our faith islam doesn't talk about that if divorce was a problem if divorce didn't have any justification then it wouldn't be allowed muslims aren't catholics marriage isn't sacred it's not sacred it's a contract sorry to be dispassionate about it it's 
a contract between two people. And that contract can be broken. But it can be broken in the right way and the wrong way. And so, when faced with these questions as to whether it is over, I always came to the conclusion that, no, it's not. There's always another way. So the question then arises, how did I end up divorced? Well, there's a line that was crossed. I was becoming ill. And my ex-wife was becoming ill. And we recognised that. We also looked at it pragmatically. We spoke about it. We asked ourselves whether or not we could give it another go. What it would mean for us if we gave it another go. If we would try to resolve it again. Because we had been through everything that we possibly could to try and do that. We felt we had done that. And if we did try again and we once again ended up in this place, where would that leave us both psychologically? On medication? Lying in bed? Dark, in, in darkness and depression? It's not where we wanted to be. We, ne we needed to be fit and healthy in order to look after our children. I know it sounds like a really again, dispassionate way of talking about marriage. But that's what needed to happen. I'm not saying it was dispassionate. It was hugely emotional. Hugely emotional. And even when we had decided that that was that, they were just words. The reality of it's over only really hits you, just like a bereavement, when the other person's gone when you're faced with the reality of your decision, the new reality. The fact is, if you're currently married, or you're looking to get married, you have dreams, or you had dreams. You built up a picture of what you thought your future was going to be as a married person. The family that you wanted and when it's over you have to accept that those dreams are gone you have to accept it and that essentially stops many of us from accepting the reality that we are faced with the acceptance that we need to form new dreams and that we have to accept the pain that comes with giving up on our old ones. And most of us are not willing to do that without being disingenuous towards ourselves. We think about our dreams. We want them to be fulfilled. We were convinced that we were entitled for them to be fulfilled, but we're not entitled to anything. Remember that. We're not entitled to have our dreams fulfilled. 
all we are entitled to do is to try our best and to pray to God, to pray to Allah, that he fulfills them. And to know that we have plans, we have dreams, but he, Allah, is the best of planners. And so we submit to that. We accept We accept our fate in that regard. We try our best. We do our very, very best. We put in 100% effort. But we understand there are no guarantees. And that we are not entitled to having our dreams fulfilled. And it's, it's a really important consideration because... So many of us are in these relationships and we feel entitled that we deserve better. We deserve happiness. You don't deserve it. You deserve a shot at it. You deserve an opportunity to bring your best self to this world. To bring your best self to your marriage. And if that endures for the rest of your life, for the rest of the time that you are here on earth, then great. But if there comes a time and that is not the case, then you are going to have to work out a way of accepting that it is over. But that doesn't mean your life is over. Not at all. It means that you now have a new opportunity. And that is the great blessing that God gives us. He gives us chance after chance after chance after chance. After having cocked up endless times, he will never give up on you. It is us who give up on him. And so, when I was sitting on that balcony, slump, in my chair with my wife next to me sobbing I didn't have the energy to do anything I just listened and then something stirred within me it was compassion A feeling that I hadn't had for so long. I thought that, that had died. But I felt compassion for her. And somehow I reached out. And I held her hand. And although I knew we were in serious, irreversible problems I drew my chair closer and I can't remember exactly what I said but I, I whispered just some words to her in order to to help her to to feel less hopeless and we connected 
after all of the darkness, after all of the difficulty, there was still a seed of connection between us. And we connected. And she stopped sobbing briefly and just leant towards me and said, why can't you always be like this? I didn't know the answer then. I think I do now. Thank you very much for listening to episode 8 of the Divorce Muslim Dad podcast. Totally appreciate you giving up 30-45 minutes of your time to listen. If you do have any feedback, I'd love to hear it. Uh, guess what? Not many of you do get in touch. So if you do have a question or a comment, uh, I will most definitely get back to you. Uh, the email is divorcemuslimdad at gmail.com. And you can find me on social at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M, at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M. That's both Twitter and Instagram. If you are listening on iTunes, on an Apple device, please do leave a review uh, in in iTunes. That's kind of cool. It just helps other people to discover the podcast. And the only other thing I'd ask you to do is, if you think it's relevant, only if you think it's relevant, Please do share it with somebody who you think would like to or needs to hear it. Uh, remember, the idea behind this podcast is to talk about elements of marriage and relationships and parenthood within the Muslim community in order to help people to move forwards in their relationships. Thanks for listening. Assalamu alaikum.